If I were to take a consensus of uh, each and every one of us, how we feel or how we would go about explaining this season of life called adulting, I'm sure the commonality would be the adjective or the explanation that it's difficult, right? Anybody agree? Like, adulting, it's difficult, it's, it's challenging, it's complicated. Well, what I know to be true is I believe many of us make it more difficult and challenging than it should actually be. I believe this wholeheartedly that we make it more difficult and challenging than it actually should be. And here's the reason why I think so many of us, we step into adulting and we kind of feel like, man, okay, I'm in the moment. I got some freedom now. I don't got to tell mom and dad where I'm going. I don't got to tell mom and dad who I'm dating. I get to spend my money the way I want to. I get to live life on my own terms. But then reality sets in. And it gets a little scary. It gets a little hard. And not only do we uh, no longer invite our parents into it, I think we make it difficult because we fail to invite God into it. And I think that we as a people, myself included, when we're going through the adulting season of life, not only do we fail to invite God into it, we forget about building our faith. We, get what, we forget what it looks like to build our, our lives on a firm foundation. I was reading this study uh, by a group, a, a Christian research group. It's called the Barna Research Group. And they said this statistic, it blew my mind. They said uh, out of thousands of young adults that grew up in the church, by the time they hit the ages of 18 to 29, 64% of those people fell out of the church and fell away from the faith. Fell out of the church, fell away from the faith, and... When I read that statistic, I was just so burdened by that because I had this conviction and I firmly believe that will no longer be a statistic for this generation. We will not see an increase in that statistic for this generation. But what we need to understand is I believe many of us, we make young adult and adulting all about something that it was never intended to be. Many of us, we're putting this strain on ourselves in this series of, or in this season of adulting to land the career job, to find the relationship, to make six figures, to buy our first house, to do all of these different things, although that is okay, that is not the focus. Although that's okay, that is not your focus. You see, there's so many people in this life that are working the career job at an early age, but they leave the office feeling like they are not walking in their purpose. There's so many people that have the loaded bank account but still they feel like their hearts are empty. There's so many people at our age that are, yeah, happy-go-lucky, posting about their marriage, posting all of these different things, frolicking in the hayfields with one another. But how many of you know at the end of the night, chances are they still feel alone? I think that we got to really, really, really reevaluate what is the key to adulting. I think so many of you today, especially, I'll just say this, I'll be blunt, some of you come to the exchange looking for that hot guy or that hot girl that you step in a relationship with. But how many of you know if your relationship isn't built on a firm foundation, you may have that hot guy, but chances are your life's going to be a hot mess. I, I just think that we really got to re really reevaluate our motives and what we're making this season of our lives about. I want to read this passage of scripture to get us going. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul. He says this. Then we will no longer be infants. He's speaking to the church of Ephesus. 
tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. I want to unpack that text, but I want to speak to you from this idea living in the tension. I want to speak to you from this idea living in the tension. You see, in the month of July, my, my life changed. Uh, if you didn't know, my wife and I, Michelle, uh, she gave birth to our firstborn child, uh, our little precious daughter. Get this, her name is Harlan Ryder Hutchinson. Come on, that is a world changer. Look at that girl. And when I look at my daughter, like, I'm just like, I want to go home. I just want to go home. We made that, that's right. If you ever see a picture of her, like full head of hair, she looks just like her mom, most beautiful girl in the world. But this girl's changing me, okay? She's got dad already wrapped around her finger, feeding her the other day, and she's sitting there looking at me, and she's like, Dad, I want a new car. I went and got her a car. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but this little girl's got my, my, literally my whole life just wrapped around her finger. But what's crazy to me about this and what's been so challenging about this season is Michelle and I, we, we've been changed, we've been transformed. But one of the things that we're trying to navigate through is how are we going to raise passionate followers of Jesus? How are we going to raise our children to be passionate followers of Jesus in this ever-changing world? We're really challenged by this. We're really trying to navigate through this because when you look at the world today, there is no resisting the truth. We are in a fallen, broken world that desperately needs Jesus. That's desperately in need of Jesus. I mean, think about this. Turn on the news for a few minutes. Scroll through social media for a little bit. I mean, listen to the radio for a little bit. And you will literally really come to the understanding this world is so far gone from what God has actually called us to be. We're in a world that's in need of Jesus. And I want you to understand tonight, the problem is this. If we look carefully to the world and everything that's taking place around us, and if we don't build our lives on a firm foundation, it will literally shape your worldview. It will shape your worldview, and it's not for the better. If you're not building your life on a firm foundation of what God's word says, what his truth says in his word, you will literally find yourself in a place where you're wavering in your faith when you look at the world, where you're literally feeling like, man, how could God allow some of these things to happen? And many of us would call this deconstructing our faith. And can I tell you, it's not something that just happens like bang. It happens in phases. It happens moment by moment. But I really want to speak to you about how the enemy has his hand in the midst of all of this. Because when we turn on the news and hear about wars, when we hear about the division in political parties that are leading to riots, when we hear about these school shootings, when we hear about all of these different things, it leads us to question our faith. It leads us to question, how could a good God allow some of these things to happen? I think about this when you hear songs in movies. You literally could see Satan's hand on some of the music that we listen to today. We can literally see the tactics and the lives of the enemy in some of the movies that we watch today where they objectify men and women, where it's literally perverting the sanctity of marriage, where it's perverting what God created to be special and intimate for a husband and wife. It's perverting sex. It's perverting the idea that we are literally created in the image of God. God started this world, male and female. It's literally tainting our image of our gender identity. And what we need to understand, friends, is social media isn't a help for today either. 
Social media, it's so crazy, the things that I see on social media. I try and stay away from it, but I see these common trends. Manifest your dreams. Manifest your dream job. Manifest your career. Manifest your lifestyle. Man, can I just tell you this? If the world were to be in my hands, it would be a billion times worse. Look at the book of Genesis. Like, this is a story of people literally stepping out of the design that God had initially put into place, taking matters into their own hand, and boom, what happened? Here we are today. The fall of man. Sin tarnishing the image of God. Sin tarnishing all of God's creation, and here we are today. And I believe the problem is this. The narrative that many of us have kind of arrived at in this generation is, you know what, I'm going to live my truth. I'm going to live my truth, I'm going to follow my truth, or I'm going to live my best life, I'm going to follow after my dreams, but can I just tell you, I think that's the worst suggestion in the world. The book of Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful. Your heart doesn't know what's good for you, but your creator does. So who are we going to choose to trust? Who are we going to choose to turn our attention to? Who are we going to build our life on? And I really want you to know tonight, Satan wants you to follow your dreams. Satan wants you to live your truth. Satan wants you to follow the majority and not be the minority. He he wants you to go with the open road, the open path. He, He wants you to do that. And what I want you to understand is, friends, it's not just a boom thing. Like he just doesn't, boom, just drop it on you. Go this way or do this. It happens subtly. Little by little, he starts to deceive you and change your mind and pull you away from the truth. It's a process. And he does it by what we're watching, what we're looking at, where we're going, what we're doing. I think about the verse that many of us have heard in 1 Peter, the enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion. But what if I told you the enemy doesn't always come with a roar? Sometimes he comes with a whisper. Sometimes he just comes with a gentle whisper. It's okay to watch that. Nobody's there. Nobody's going to see that. It's okay to just try it one more time or lay with that person once more. It's okay to send that late night message. Sometimes he just comes with the whisper and he deceives you. And little by little, he starts to change the way you see God. He starts to change the way you view the truth of God's word. And tonight, I really want to just give you some theology on this because none of these things we see in the world, I think it's important that we understand. None of the world events taking place, none of it is a surprise to God. Like, God is not moved by catastrophes or natural disasters or murders or school shootings. Like, God is not moved off of his throne by any of this. This is not a surprise to God. But many of us, we're challenged to believe God isn't surprised by this because we're surprised by it. And we go, how could you be a good God? How could you be a sovereign God, a God who's in control and allow that to happen? We're shocked he's not. So what are you going to do? I think that when I speak about living in the tension, the tension is this. Are we going to be living by God's truth or the world's truth? Are we going to live by God's truth, God's word, the biblical principles that we see in the word of God? Or are we going to live by what we want to believe is the truth? I love what John 14, 6 says. It says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the way. I am the truth. 
I am the life. And when you think about that text, I love the way Jesus poses it in that moment. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, I am a truth. He says, I am the truth. And what I want you to understand is the enemy, he wants you to settle after following a truth, not the truth. He, he wants to lead you out to believe that your way is above God's way. But when we read Isaiah 55, 56, what we learn is God's way is above our way. He is sovereign. He is control. He sees the future. We can't. But somehow we, we, we choose to believe, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take hold of what I want to take hold of. I'm going to be the one to change the narrative of my life. I'm going to be the one to shape the trajectory of my life. And when we look at Ephesians 4 that we read earlier, I love what Paul's saying to the church of Ephesus. Because when he's speaking to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, he's speaking to them. He's saying, church, I want you to wake up. I want you to be careful. Don't be deceived by false teachers who tell you there are different ways to get into heaven. Be careful with those who say there are multiple gods. Be careful with those who tell you you can manifest your dreams. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. He tells us, church, it's time for you to get back to the truth. Get back to the truth of God's word in exchange. I'm here to tell you this. This is just as much as a reminder for us today, now more than ever, because we need to be a people standing in truth, standing on God's truth, standing firm on the word of God. There's no other truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. Friends, when people tell you, oh man, you should worship this God or there is multiple ways to get to heaven. Friends, you know that is not the truth. Don't waver. Don't be moved from the truth. Don't be moved from the truth that you come to know. Don't be moved from the faith that you come to believe. Don't be moved from the one that you come to put your faith and trust in today. What's so funny about this is um, I'm literally just like as I've been studying this and preparing for this talk. I've literally been like looking at every single part of my life and I love to just celebrate the wins in my life, the moments where I see God do supernatural things. But what I've been opened up to is the moments where the enemy kind of just pops up in my life too. Just subtly just inserts himself. In fact, the other day, Michelle and I, what's so weird, this is weird for me. I'm just going to talk about it because I want to. Um, Michelle and I, whenever we go to the store now, she like sits in the back seat with my daughter. I just feel like a chauffeur. Like, are you going to tip me? Like... Like, what's going on here? And uh, the other day, we were going to, to get some ice cream, and we're sitting in the car, and I'm like, all right, we're going to get some pop music going, you know, set the mood. Some of you are looking like, you listen to pop music, Pastor? You shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, you ever meet somebody that's, like, sold out for Jesus? Like, what do you listen to? Hillsong worship. What do you work out to? Bethel music. You're a liar! <laughs> it's okay to listen to some pop music. So your boy turned on that top hits on Spotify. First song, Ariana Grande, God is a woman. Psh, skip. <laughs> Next song, Lady Gaga, baby, I was burning this thing. No, you weren't. What are you talking about? Think about all these different songs. I think about the next song that we put. What was it, baby? Next song that came on, it was like a Nicki Minaj super freak song. I might skip, skip, skip. <laughs> Finally, like, we changed the playlist. I'm like, let's kick it back to 2000s, baby. Let's go back to 2000. You know, kick back and listen to this Usher. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, Usher, none of that music's good for the soul. 
learn that quickly. Skip, next song. And that moment, next song comes on, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what is a WAP? It pops up on the station. <laughs> skip, skip, skip. Turn it off, Mark. Turn it off. Turn it off now. I'm probably going to get an email about that. Anyways. <laughs> but as I sat there with my wife, we may laugh about it, but it's a sad reality of this is where our world's at today. So far gone, so lost, so sinful, so fallen. But can I tell you, the only reason there's hope is because there's a Savior. And I think about this, this verse in Second Chronicles 7 where, where the Lord would say, When my people humble themselves and turn their face upon me, I will heal their land. In order for us to know the truth and allow the truth to set us free, friends, we need to humble ourselves. We need to start calling on God in our day-to-day life. We need to realize that we can't just go through life alone. We need to invite God into the narrative. We need to ask God to shape our lives. We need to ask God to reveal his will in our lives. But in our adulthood, we finally feel like, man, I got some freedom, therefore I call the shots. Therefore, I do what I want to do. I go where I want to go. I listen to what I want to listen to. We're so far gone. We're so far gone. And you see, what blows my mind, even when I think about movies and songs that we listen to, Satan's hand is so evident on it. He perverts what God created to be beautiful, which is sex and marriage and all the things that we know God created from the beginning of time, but he just puts his little hand on it, and he perverts it. The sad truth isn't that he perverts it. The sad truth is that we fall for the lies, and that we fall into the trap. Because the truth of it is, if you actually read the book from cover to cover, you would see that God isn't shocked by any of this. He knows that there would be wicked people, false teachers, deceivers that would come and do the things that we're seeing revealed today. But I, I think what we need to do is really take inventory of who holds the microphone to our lives. Who, who's speaking into our lives? I think that when you ask yourself that question, you would be blown away as to how many opportunities you're allowing Satan to speak into your life, to sow seeds into your heart, to sow seeds into your mind. The Bible says this, in the end days, people will be given over to their wickedness. I'm here to tell you today, the part of the tension is the fact that we're living in the end times today. Part of the tension is that we are living in a broken, fallen world that God had seen long, long ago from the foundations of the earth. But here we are frantic saying, God, how could you be in this? God, why are you allowing this to happen? But friends, he tells you how the story ends. He's coming back and he's taking his children with him. We we don't have to be moved. We don't have to start wavering in our faith. We don't need to start questioning and doubting if God could be sovereign, if God could be in control. And I just want to tell you this today. I'm passionate about this because Michelle and I have been talking about it. You need to be careful what you listen to and what you watch, who you're inviting and allowing to speak into your life. You got to be careful. 
Because like I said, the enemy, he doesn't just come and drop it on you. He does it with the whisper. He does it through the movie. He does it through the music. He does it through the podcast. He does it through the places that you're going, the things that you're looking at, the things that you're allowing to come into your life. And when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul, he starts using this language of wavering and being swayed by the winds and the waves and all of these different things. He's using this illustrative language because he's creating imagery of a ship being tossed around by waves and wind. And the message is very simple from Ephesians 4.14. If you would build your life on a firm foundation, you will not be moved. If you build your life on the foundation of who God is and what his word has to say to you, you will not be moved. But the problem with our generation is too many of us want to move with the majority and not be the minority. Too many of us, we want one foot in the world and one foot in the word. And when we do this, we're surprised when we're, we're stumbling, we're falling around, we're wavering. Why? Because you have no stability in your life. You have no strength in your life. And the strength doesn't come from anything you can do but what God has already spoken through his word. you got a firm foundation that only comes through the truth of God's word. I just want to be clear, though, because sometimes I think we we, kind of undermine how clever Satan truly is. I think sometimes we just have this idea that the win, the primary win for Satan is the moment where we start to do satanic worship. We think the win for Satan sometimes is when we start to live in sin, when we start to go against God's will. But what if I told you that's not the only win for Satan? What if I told you it's the moment where you start questioning God? What if I told you it's the moments where you start doubting God? What if I told you it's the moments where you start shifting and wavering and falling away from the truth that you've come to know? I think about this in Genesis chapter 3. We all know this story in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve frolicking around, enjoying the beauty. Right there, that couple on Instagram just rolling around in the hayfields, frolicking around. Satan shows up to the scene in the form of a serpent. Did God really say, Did God really say? And some of us need to understand that's how Satan's showing up in our lives. Did God really say you shouldn't sleep with that person before you get married? Did God really say you should give up on going to the clubs? Did God really say that you shouldn't be tethered to someone who isn't of the faith? Did God really say that? I want us to understand this today because I really believe Satan is just rejoicing from below because he's literally just doing the little nuggets that are causing us to waver and shift. It's nothing too big. And what's good about it for Satan is you don't even realize. Therefore, you don't change anything. But it's a win because he's got you wavering. He's got you moving. He's got you shifting. He's got you questioning. He's got you doubting. And friends, the tension that we're living is, will we trust God's truth or man's word? Will we live and obey God's word or man's word? As I share all that truth with you, I really want to help you understand what I'm trying to move you to. So I looked at this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a passage of scripture that many, many of you probably heard. It talks about putting on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. I love what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Ephesus. He says, brothers and sisters, a final word 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. Say stand firm. He wants you to stand firm. So you can stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, which is now. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. What I love about that last verse in verse 14 where he says, put on the belt of truth. If you actually study the text, yes, he's speaking about a spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. A spiritual battle that's taking place, us, us against the enemy. And it's a war. It's not just a battle. It's a war. But what he's also speaking to in this time, there was a physical war taking place. See, there would be these soldiers. And these soldiers, they would be in the middle of the battlefield. They'd be fighting as an army. They'd be fighting as a people. And these people, as they're in the war, in hand-to-hand combat, they would wear this thing called a tunic. It's a large gown. On top of that tunic, they would have the armor that he speaks of. But what he's saying is, put on the belt of truth. And when I studied the text, this blew my mind. He says the most important part is the belt of truth. He says that the very first thing you need to put on is the belt of truth. Why? Because whenever these soldiers were fighting and at battle, if they didn't have a belt, their armor, their tunic, all of that would fall and cause them to trip and stumble. Hear me on this. It's a message for us because he's telling us put on the belt of truth. Gird yourself with the belt of truth because if you do, you won't trip and stumble and fall in the tactics of the enemy. You won't trip and fall in the tactics of the enemy. What do you got to do? You got to stand firm and cover yourself in the belt of truth. I think this is a message to us, friends. Don't, Don't miss this tonight. The first thing we need to do when it comes to living in the tension is stand firm. We got to stand. We got to stand firm. We got to make sure that we hold our ground. We got to stand firm on the truth of God's word. I think about this when I was in college. I had sociology, uh, I think it was my sophomore year, and I remember one time I'm sitting in the auditorium in sociology, and my teacher, she's, she's teaching, and then she starts to kind of deviate from what she was teaching on, and she had this history to kind of impose her values and her beliefs and her truth on us. And I remember one time I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of fed up, and I, I stand up before the class, and I say, ma'am, with all due respect, I, I am a firm, firm believer that there's only one way to God the Father. And I remember in that moment, the teacher looks at me. She says, sit down. She starts to mock me in front of the class. I remember sitting down and kind of shrinking back and sinking into my feet. But then I got a greater revelation. That is exactly what the Lord had wanted me to do. He wanted me to stand firm and hold my ground. And what I'm trying to get to you tonight, there's many of you that you're going into school, you're going into your workplaces, and your coworkers, your colleagues, your professors, they're imposing these beliefs, they're creating this false narrative, they're dropping it on you subtly. And some of us were shrinking back. 
But I believe God's telling you to stand firm. I think the thing that's kind of causing us to shrink back in our faith, though, is the fact that we're afraid to be rejected. It's the fact that we're, we're afraid to be mocked or mimicked. My thought is this, if they did it to your Savior, why wouldn't they do it to you? If they did it to your Savior, why wouldn't they do it to you? Don't shrink back. Stand firm. Hold your ground. Hold on to the truth of God's word, friend. Why? Because we're living in the tension. We're living in the tension. And now more than ever, we need to be the church. We need to be united by the truth. We need to be a united front. We need to stand firm in the truth of God's word. You see, when I think about standing firm and standing firm and holding on to our truth, it doesn't mean that we need to do it in a harsh way. It doesn't mean we need to be dogmatic about it. Yes, stand firm, but stand even more firm on love. Stand firm in truth, but stand even stronger in love. So when someone comes to you and starts to impose their beliefs and their values, no, you don't mock, you don't shame, you don't just throw a whole bunch of biblical knowledge at them. No, friend, you point them to the truth of God's word with love. Stand firm, but stand in love. And when I think about this, I think many of us, we also shrink back, not only because we're afraid of rejection, we're, we're afraid of people judging us, but I think it's just this narrative that we have that, man, like, we're going to be canceled. We're going to be cut off. There's going to be a lot of disapproval. Maybe don't post uh, different verses on your Instagram because you're afraid people are going to unfollow you. I think what's interesting about that is you see, there was an era when we read the Bible in the early church, there was a group of believers who they found themselves living in the tension. You see, the tension was this. There was a Roman emperor, and many people would just live underneath this Roman emperor. And not only that, but these followers of Jesus, they loved Jesus. They were sold out for him. But the tension was this, that they wanted to worship, serve, and honor God. But all of these other people, the majority, they were worshiping false gods. And whenever they would walk the city streets, they found themselves in attention. Because if anyone had sniffed them out, they wouldn't be unfollowed. There wouldn't be a Twitter war that breaks out. They would persecute them. They would have them imprisoned. They would have them beaten. They would have them literally publicly killed. When I think about this, we call this the Western. We're the Western church. We don't realize how privileged we are that we can come and meet in a place like this and worship God openly. But there's people on the other side of the, of the world that literally don't have this privilege. But can I tell you, they're standing firm. They're standing firm. They're not wavering from the truth. They're standing firm on the truth of God's word. You see, not only do I believe, though, we need to stand firm on the truth of God's word, I also believe when it comes to living in the tension, spiritual maturity must be our priority. Spiritual maturity must be our priority. 
And I, I think about spiritual maturity, some of the ways that we want to partner with you in helping you grow in your walk with Christ is like following Jesus. That's why we offer following Jesus. Join us next week. I, I'm telling you, this is a course and a class that offers a curriculum that will change your life and change your understanding of who God is and how he has called you to live. Not only following Jesus, in fact, on the weekend of September 10th and 11th, I believe it is, we're kicking off a new series across all of our locations called Truth Over Trend, Building Your Life on a Firm Foundation. The Bible says in 1 Peter that we need to be a people that have an answer when people ask, what is it that you believe? This is the series that's going to equip you. Spiritual maturity comes from applying God's truth to your life. But the only way you can do that is by getting in the truth and asking God to change your life. You see, a few months ago, uh, Michelle and I, we were doing like our landscaping over in our house. And as we were doing the landscaping over in our house, there was this plant that we have right in front of our doorway. And it's a beautiful plant. It's called the red amaranth. And this red amaranth, it has a history to grow this fungus on it, this nasty white fungus on it. I remember for so long, I'm like, Michelle, what do we do about this ugly plant? And it's got this fungus on it. So I started doing research, how to treat it or whatever. And people say, like, throw Lysol and throw disinfectant on it. I'm, like, doing this stuff. And my neighbors probably look at me, look at this freaking idiot. <laughs> I finally got to the point, though, I was, like, ready to give up on this plan. And I was, remember, I remember this so vividly. This was recent. I remember I was in a deep spiritual rut. And one of the ways I connect with God is in nature. I like to get outside my house. I like to work on the yard. I like to do different things, get sweaty and dirty. And I remember I was like ready to take out all my frustration on this plant. And I like walk outside with this shovel like I'm coming for you, Red Amaranth. I was in this spiritual rut and I'm like getting ready to start digging it out. But in that moment, something slowed me. It said, don't dig it out. Cut off the leaves. Cut off the parts of the plant that are infected. Cut off the parts of the plant that are stopping it from growing and being the beautiful plant that it once was. See, the word I got for you from that is that God is speaking to someone in the room tonight and saying, he's saying, you want to grow spiritually. What you need to do is start looking at your life and ask, what are the areas in my life I need to cut off? Who are the people in my life I need to cut off? What are the distractions that I need to cut off? What are the places and where are the places that I'm going that I need to cut off? Who are the friends that I have in my life that I need to cut off? What are the habits in my life that I need to cut off? You, you want to grow spiritually, friends? Yes, we got to dig into the truth, but you also have to start cutting some things off. You got to cut it off. You got to cut some things back. You got to start trimming it back so you can step into the full potential that God has for your life. What is it today that you need to cut off? I want to help some of you today. Friends, man, I was once in this place. You know the thing that I had to cut off when I was a teen? I was going to the gym. Because some of you are going to the gym and it turns into this meat market. Some of you go to the gym and you start lusting and you're literally finding enjoyment in it. But what you're doing is killing your soul. You're killing your soul. Cut it off. Ladies, some of you, you need to make the hard decision to cut off that guy. Make the decision. Cut him off. Cut him off. Cut off the habit. 
Maybe you need to stop going to bed with your phone right next to you. Cut off the habit. What is the habit that is keeping you from growing into all that God has created and called you to be? You see, spiritual maturity develops when we unplug from the world and when we plug into God. Cut it off. Cut it off. So as I close, today I ask you, what are you going to live by? Are you going to live by God's truth or the world's truth? Because if we're going to live by God's truth, number one, we must understand there is an enemy that is after you. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He shows up and he is deceptive. He's a deceiver. He is a liar. He doesn't show up with a roar. He shows up in the whisper. Second thing we need to understand today, if we're going to live by God's truth, we've got to stand firm on God's truth. Sometimes that means we're not going to be with the majority. We're going to be with the minority. We're going to stand and be set apart. Number three, the other thing that we need to do is make spiritual maturity a priority. What's the thing that you need to cut off today? Who's the person that you need to cut off today? Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, that in your word, we know that the truth has the power to set us free. So, Father, I pray for the person in the room that needs to be set free of addiction. I pray for the person that needs to stand firm in the truth so they can experience the truth that will set them free from insecurity. I pray for the person under the sound of my voice that needs to stand firm on the truth that the battle has already been won in Jesus Christ. I pray for the person today that is here in the room and they need to stand firm in the truth. The war has already been won. And as we continue praying in this moment, every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're in the room today. And you're hearing this message. And you're hearing about the truth setting us free. And you don't feel like you're free. You feel like you've been taken captive. You feel stuck. You feel trapped. I just wonder, have you tried Jesus? If you're in the room and you're saying, I, maybe I need to try Jesus, I want you to know the truth of the Bible is in John chapter 8. Jesus would say, when you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. There's a different freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. It's a freedom from eternal damnation. So maybe you're in the room and you're saying, I want a relationship with him. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And sin separates us from God. But the story doesn't end there because God, whom is rich in his love and his mercy, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. The Bible says it. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. If that's you and you're saying, I want to experience freedom today, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking in this moment. I see you. Hands going up all across the room. I see you. I see you. I see you there in the middle. I see you. I want to pray this prayer as a family together. It's the prayer of salvation. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, I know that you sent your son to die on a cross for me so I could have eternal life. Today, Lord, I'm turning from the world and I'm turning towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with those that made that decision.